and up to Christmas uh, on angels. How many believe in angels? Uh, that's what I thought, the vast majority of us. So uh, we're going to look at three of the four angel stories in the Christmas story, and we're, we're going to call it Better Angels because angels are there to make us better. And so we're going to look at the story, and we're going to look at some things we learn from the an angelic manifestation uh, that, that can make us better people, because I believe there are still angels all around us. You don't see an angel. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. That's, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's next week. And the other thing I want you to be aware of is that we have an after party once a month, and this is it. Uh, it's right down the hall here on the left next to the, next to the kitchen. It's, it's particularly for me to be able to connect with some of the newer people in our church, but if you have something you want to touch base with me about, that's where I'm going to be. Come on down there. Uh, we got some refreshments and coffee, and um, I just look forward to connecting with some folks. That's right after what we're doing here today. Isaiah chapter 5. God says, woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, who put darkness for light, and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. In other words, God has an order for things. He has a, uh, this certain set order. And what you and I have to do is discover what his order is. And we have to line up with his order. And he says, woe to those who get things backwards. Woe to those who put the cart before the horse. They get things reversed. They do things backwards. Because God has an order. And so I want to talk a little bit about that order this morning. Uh, when, Jesus when Jesus put together his discipleship team that he was going to train for three years, we call them the disciples or the, the first apostles, he wisely chose Simon the Zealot to be a part of that team. Now, a zealot was uh, a right-wing liberal they wanted to hang on to the past. They didn't want anything to change. They wanted to go back to the fundamental basics. They wanted to keep it that way. And they were willing to overthrow the Roman government to reestablish that. But at the same time, he also chose Matthew the publican. Now, remember what publicans did? They went out and collected taxes from the Jews to give to the Roman government to finance their occupation of Israel. These were the liberals. He put a right-wing conservative on the same team as a left-wing liberal. Put them together. Now, and he expected something good to come out of that. <laughs> he expected to take their extreme views and bring them toward the middle. Isn't that interesting? Opposites, and yet God put them on his team. So let's look at some of the contrasts we find in the Bible. We, by the way, if you weren't here last week and you missed the first five contrasts, uh, you can get on our website and you can uh, listen to that for free. Uh, but this is part two. And the first thing I want us to see here, the first contrast, is there is a narrow gate and a wide gate. We get to take our pick. We get to choose if we're going through the narrow gate or through the wide gate. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. 
Go through the narrow gate, he said. The gate to destruction is wide, and the road that leads there is easy to follow. A lot of people go through that gate. But the gate to life is very narrow. The road that leads there is so hard to follow that only a few people find it. Now, this is kind of the opposite of what we hear today about coming to God. Because we have this idea that there are lots of paths to God in the world. We hear people say that, they're, that, that everyone's, going, everyone's heading for the same place anyway. Everyone's trying to get there. And there may be an element of truth in that. Everybody's trying to get there. But the question is, how do people get there? Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. You understand what narrow means, don't you? We've been through narrow hallways and uh, narrow close calls. Real, just barely made it. The, the worldview of how to get to God is radically different from what Jesus just presented here. He said it's narrow. In John chapter 14, Jesus even said it like this. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's narrow thinking, isn't it? No man gets to the Father. There's lots of religious people around, but no man gets to the Father except through Jesus. That's pretty narrow. Jesus presented a narrow way. Well, why, why does he have some corner on God? Why is he the, the, the only way? To make it real simple, because all of us are descendants of Adam and Eve. And we're all fallen. We've all missed it. And there's a curse upon us. And the default position for every descendant of Adam and Eve is eternity in hell. God doesn't want that. So he sent his only begotten son, the only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth. That's what Christmas is about. To identify with us humans in our fallen nature. And at the end... 30-some years later, he was nailed to the cross and paid the price for sin. Sin he did not commit. He was holy. He had no sin. You and I have the sin. Jesus Christ was our substitute. He paid the price. Somebody say amen. amen. Buddha couldn't die for anybody else's sins. He had his own to pay for. Krishna couldn't pay for anybody else's sins. He had his own to pay for. Muhammad couldn't pay for anybody else's sins. He had his own to pay for. Only Jesus paid the price. That's why Jesus said, no man comes to the Father. You can have lots of religious principles and places to go and things to do, but no man comes to the Father except through the Son who dealt with the sin problem. No other religion deals with the sin problem. John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus is the gate. 
You want to find life? You want to connect with this eternal life principle and, and uh, the, the, the promise of, of life and that more abundantly that Jesus gave us? There's only one way to do that. It's through the gate. And the gate's Jesus. I am the gate, he said. Pretty narrow. Not only is the gate narrow, Jesus says, but he said it is hard. It is so hard. Have you discovered that yet? I have watched hundreds of people come to our church, hear the gospel message, raise their hand or come to the altar, make some kind of a stand to say, I accept Christ as my Savior. And within a month, they disappear. They're gone. Why? Because the way is hard. It's not easy. It's not an easy thing. Going to church isn't what it's all about. It's living the gospel and letting God live through you. That's what's hard. Because things happen that cause us to doubt. Things happen that make us mad. Things happen we don't understand. Anything ever happened to you since you've been a Christian you didn't understand? Well, a couple of us raised our hands. Happens to everybody. The way is hard. We have to say, I don't understand, but I believe. I know bad. this is a bad thing. I can't see anything good coming out of it, but God is good. So I can trust Him in this. The way is hard. And therefore... Few find it. This is kind of a contrast because in America, if we did a survey, we would find that the vast majority of Americans would say they're Christians. But the way is narrow, Jesus said. Why do so many people think they're Christians if Jesus says the way is narrow? I think it's because in America we don't understand the gospel. We think, the, we think Christianity is, is some... Uh, some side of a political leaning or some keeping some moral rules. It's way beyond that. It's surrendering my control of my will and putting it in God's hands and let and and submit to his will, which we don't always like, but it's always good. So go through the narrow gate, not the wide gate. That's the first contrast I want us to see today. Here's the second one. We can, we can pursue faith or works. In Romans chapter 3, verse 28, Paul said this, Therefore, we conclude that a man or woman is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Doing good things don't justify me. Doing the deeds of the law that God, that God's clearly said this is his will are not the things that justify us. It's believing in what Jesus did when he went to the cross that justifies me. So I can, when I, when I get to heaven and I get to stand at the pearly gates and say, Peter or whoever's been assigned to the job up there, ask me the question, why should I let you in? Are we going to say it's because of my faith or it's because of my works? 
Are we going to say it was because I was baptized, because I, I, I attended church, I gave in the offering, I helped that poor person that time? That's good. That's good works. Is that our justification to get into heaven? Or is it going to be our faith in what Jesus Christ did for us? Because there are people that lean on both. They really think they're going to get into heaven because they did a certain group of things. And they leave Jesus out, and he's the only way to the Father. Good example of this is Adam and Eve. God put them on the earth and empowered them to be his representatives on this planet. And all the descendants of Adam and Eve end up doing the same thing Adam and Eve did. Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent who said, God, you say God said you shouldn't eat of that tree? Go ahead, you eat of it. You'll be wise if you do. Well, everybody wants to be wise. So they tasted of that fruit and they lost their grace with God. They realized they were naked. They ran and hid because they were naked. Who are they hiding from? Man's been hiding from God ever since because God knows the real me and we don't want God to we want God to think of us as good people. But yet we know what's going on on the inside. We know our thoughts. So Adam and Eve went out and tried to cover their nakedness, their exposure. And they collected a bunch of fig leaves from a fig tree, stitched them together, made clothes to cover their nakedness. Next morning, they tried to put those garments back on. And you know what happened. Because the minute that leaf is picked, it begins to die. It loses its life. It loses its flexibility. It dries up. Next morning, it's going to fall apart. What do they do? They got to go back out. They got to go pick more fig leaves, stitch them together. Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. They're going to have to work, work, work the rest of their lives to cover up their nakedness, cover up their shame. Then God comes along and he sees how foolish that all is. And he gives them leather garments, leather, the skin of an animal, an animal that was sacrificed. What'd that animal do to deserve to die? It was innocent. It's a picture of Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. Amen. The innocent paying the price, shedding his blood so that there could be life in the guilty. And Adam and Eve put on, they put on those, that leather garment and it covered their nakedness. If you're relying on works, you got to work, 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 work. There's no end to it. If you rely on God, you just put it on. You don't create it. You just put it on. Amen? Faith or works. There's another side of that coin, though. And James addresses that in chapter 2, verses 14 and 18. It kind of looks like God doesn't know what he's doing. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and well fed, 
but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. Notice the the action there is show me. Show me. How do we demonstrate to a world around us that's lost and blind? How do we demonstrate to them that we have faith? If there aren't some deeds, some actions to follow up. This makes sense to us? So our, how we get to the kingdom and how we obtain the promises of God are by faith, not in a reaction to our works. But if we have faith with no action... The faith is dead. Doesn't gain anything. There's got to be a balance. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right. Here's the third contrast we want to look at. Freedom or bondage. We read this in Romans chapter 8 verses 14 and 15. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. So everybody believes in God. There's two ways to see God. The first is to see God as as angry at us. And we've got to somehow appease this angry God. And so we walk around and do the things God wants us to do out of fear. I'm trying to appease this angry God by my good works. The other way to look at God is to say, he's my father. He's my dad. He's my papa. The spirit of adoption has brought us into the family so that we see God as Abba, Father, not as our slave master that we have to be afraid of. So how do you see God? We can approach God from the one perspective or the other, from freedom or bondage. Romans chapter 6 verse 16 says this in reference to that. There it is. Don't you know that you are slaves of anyone you obey? You can be slaves of sin and die, or you can be obedient slaves of God and be acceptable to him. Being a a slave is simply when you are, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They have control over you. If, uh, If you have debt, somebody has control over you, right? You can't just do what you want to do with your finances. If you have debt, somebody's going to hold you accountable if you have debt. If you're an employee and you work for a company or you work for an employer, they got some controls over you. You don't just go in there and do what you want to do. I'm going to watch an old movie today while I'm on the job not going to happen. They're your boss. They're your supervisor. 
You're a slave to whom you obey. So I choose to be a slave of Jesus Christ. I willfully put myself under his supervision, under his control. One more uh, supporting scripture, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We've been freed from the law of sin and death. This thing that says, says because I'm a sinner, death works in me. I've been free from that. It's, the chain's been broken. The link is, is uh, unattached. I am now free. Why would we want to willfully step back into that? We have, just as there are people who have been born with birth defects, there's something a little bit abnormal in their genetic code. It's it's hereditary thing that passes down. And they can correct that issue, but because their bodies have a predisposition, a genetic predisposition, the body tends to want to go back to that because that's in the DNA code. We have a similar predisposition to going back to our ways of sin. Jesus has set us free. He's given us a new pattern on how we should treat other people, how should we relate to God, how do we handle our finances, how do we deal with offenses that come our way. God gives us a whole new standard, but it's our natural predisposition to go right back to the way we used to be. So we have to keep repenting. We have to keep surrendering. We have to keep going back to our foundation, back to our Father. All right, I got to move on. Here's number four. We have a choice of life or death. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says this. As for you, talking about us Christians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. We skip to verses 3 and 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God didn't ask us to clean our lives up and then come to him for favor. He gives us favor while our lives are still a mess. This is good news because I think there's probably a couple people in our room, in our, in our, this room right here who you can say to yourself, you know, my life's kind of a mess. You can bring that mess to Jesus and he can clean it up. Amen. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. There is a way that seems to make sense. It just seems, you know, everybody else is doing it this way. It, it, I buy the self-help books and it tells me this is the answer. It just seems to make sense, but the end leads to death. In other words, don't take that way. 
it leads to death. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19 says, God says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Notice it, uh, he, he defines what he means by life and death. Blessings and curses. That's what he means by life and death. Yeah, we're alive physically, but he wants us to be alive with blessings, the blessings of God in our life. When he's opening doors and closing the wrong ones and he's setting us up with the right kind of people we connect with. When God is always at work behind the scenes guiding our lives, that's life. Death is when there's curses on us. It's like God has lifted his blessing in that area because of something. That's death. So choose life. Somebody say amen. amen. Choose life. It's a choice we make. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 13 says this. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. There's a contrast for you. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord, your God, that I give you this day, and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. He wants us to be winners, not losers. He wants us to be successful, not in defeat. Think positive. God is a good God. I don't like what's going on right now. I don't like what God has allowed to come into my life, but I do know that anything coming into my life, because my life is in His hands, had to pass through Him. So it's a bad thing that's happening to me. I don't understand. I don't like it one bit, but I know I can always trust God because God is good in His DNA. Always has something good in mind. So choose life. And here's the last one, number five, heaven or hell, your choice. John chapter three, verse 16, a lot of us have this memorized, it says, for God so loved the world, notice who he loved, not the church, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Yes. Yeah. I met Mike about, I'm guessing, 20 years ago. Mike had uh, just been to his doctor for a, a follow-up for some health issues, and the doctor confirmed to him that he had cancer, that there was nothing they could do for, and that he had some, probably had somewhere between 6 and 12 months to live, the doctor advised him to go home and get his affairs in order. So Mike left the doctor's office and drove straight over here to Feller's across the street <clears throat> and sat down with whoever over there was helping him and put together his funeral arrangements. Told them he'd have a check uh, on the way uh, the next week. Mike was a successful businessman in Auburn, uh, and when he, got, when he got finished with 
dealing with fellers, he drove across the street over here to New Hope. He had never been here before. But when he came out of Fellers, first thing he saw was this church. So he drove across, came in, asked if he could speak to the pastor. I happened to be in, so they brought him into my office, and we sat down, and he told me his story, and we chatted. And he asked me if I would officiate at his funeral. I'd never met him before. He didn't know anything about me. I didn't know anything about him. But he asked me to do it. And so I asked some questions, was making some notes, and and I said, well, Mike, since you want me to do your funeral, I would like to say something good. I'd like to give people hope and encouragement. And I just want you to know that Jesus Christ is the Savior who makes a way to the Father. And I shared the gospel with him. Mike was a good Catholic man, uh, but he never had anybody tell him he needed to make a decision for Christ. So... I told him it was a choice, and this is how you do it. And I, and I led him in a sinner's prayer. And when we got finished, he thanked me. He got in his car and drove home to tell his wife. He had made all these arrangements, and she didn't know anything about it. The next week, he was in church here with his wife. The week after that, he was here with his wife and brought his adult kids. And that began a relationship with Mike because he, he and his wife, the, the adult kids didn't, didn't keep coming, but he and his wife came to this church up until the time he couldn't come anymore. And uh, they, they had to take care of him at home. And uh, about a year later, he, he went, passed into the presence of the Lord. Amen. He escaped hell yes. and went into heaven. Yeah. And I was able to share the gospel with all his friends and the business community in Auburn, uh, they gathered here for the funeral. I was able to share the gospel with everyone. Everybody got to hear that uh, because God was doing a work in Mike. I believe God's doing a work in you. And how that all works out is between you and God, but he's not finished with you yet. He's doing, he's, he's, he's like the the potter working on the clay, trying to polish up his vessel, trying to get it just right. And you know, the, the potter working on the vessel, every now and then he gets a blemish in it that he can't fix. And he just, he's got to just start over again. Bam! How many have ever had God have to start over again with you? But he keeps working. He keeps working. Keeps working at it. Keeps working at it. And you're getting more and more like Jesus every day. Oh, we got a long ways to go, a long way. But he's still pressing, gouging, molding, and shaping. And when he's finished with you, he'll call you home. But since he hasn't called you home yet, he's not finished with you. He's still got work to do. And I've, I've learned that some of you are how God presses and gouges me to shape me what he wants me to be. And my wife's a master at it. <laughs> Let's stand together. Here are some contrasts. Make a choice. Make a choice. And if you haven't yet made a choice, as we looked at these different angles of contrast, if you haven't yet made a choice, I would encourage you to make that choice. It's personal. It's between you and God. And you can't just think that because you're an American, you're automatically going to go to heaven when you die. 
doesn't work like that. You have to be able to say, Jesus Christ died for my sin, paid the price for me. That's, that's your get into heaven free card right there. It's what Jesus did. Have you made that declaration yet? Have you surrendered your life yet? I want to encourage you to do that. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. Father, we understand the gospel. We keep, we keep going back to it because it's easy for us to forget. But Lord, it's not about us and what we do. It's about you and what you did. So Father, we want to embrace that. I ask that every person in this room, the Holy Spirit will deal with to come a little closer, a little deeper in our relationship with you to make us the people you called us to be. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. 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 We've got some prayer partners that will be here to the front. If you have a prayer need, bring it to them. Let them agree with you. Go with God. He loves you more than you know.